Revelation, the last book of the New Testament. It has inspired movies, fanatics, and cults. But this can't be the reason the Spirit inspired the Revelation, nor the reason the Church has kept it all these centuries. This year, we use the inspired visions of Revelation. The angels, demons, men, and monsters to reveal to us the mystery of Christmas. Where are you, God? I hear my trench mates whisper that prayer. Yesterday, a shell took the lives of 14 young men. Last month, poison gas took nearly two dozen. And that's nothing compared to the toll that the influenza and the frostbite have taken. Where is God? I hear my friends at the memorial service asking. A boy at our school has just killed himself. He was sort of a friend. Not really. I'm not really sure if he had any friends. Probably why he killed himself. And just three weeks before Christmas. I've got my own problems. My dad drinks too much. My parents aren't speaking to each other. I have no money for college. I need a scholarship. But I'm not a great student. Oh, yeah. And my best friend has cancer. She's 17. I started reading the Bible tonight. They read a really great passage at the memorial service from Revelation. But I can't seem to find that great passage. Instead, I just keep finding stuff like this. As I watched, the Lamb broke the first of the seven seals on the scroll. Then I heard one of the four living beings say with a voice like thunder, Come. I looked up and saw a white horse standing there. Its rider carried a bow, and a crown was placed on his head. He rode out to win many battles and gain the victory. And I tell the men, this white horse, it's not only Germany. It's every conquering army that has ever ridden out upon the face of the earth. As you can tell, I'm too old to be volunteering for fighting. But I have volunteered to serve as a chaplain. And these young men, they were enraptured by the revelation. So I kept reading. When the Lamb broke the second seal, I heard the second living being say, Come. Then another horse appeared, a red one. Its rider was given a mighty sword and authority to take peace from the earth. And there was war and slaughter everywhere. I watch the news every night. Wars, people starving, murders in my own town. What kind of a world am I growing up in? My cousin is away at war. I wonder if he'll come home for Christmas. I keep reading, looking for that really hopeful passage they read at the funeral. But it just keeps getting worse. When the lamb broke the third seal, I heard the third living being say, Come. I looked up and saw a black horse, and his rider was holding a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard a voice from among the four living beings say, A loaf of wheat bread or three loaves of barley will cost a day's pay, and don't waste the olive oil and wine. I immediately hated reading that passage. We know that the Ottomans have starved half a million Christians to death in Lebanon with a blockade. We ourselves are blockading Germany to end the war, and their families back home are starving, and they hate us for it. We ourselves starve in these trenches 
Meanwhile, we get letters from home every day complaining about the scarcity of cured ham. Back home, they're eating chocolate and drinking tea. It's just like the passage from the Revelation. A loaf of bread will cost a day's pay, but don't waste the wine and the olive oil. Don't stop the flow of luxuries while the poor starve. I keep reading before the men get even more depressed. When the lamb broke the fourth seal, I heard the fourth living being say, Come. I looked up and saw a horse whose color was pale green. Its rider was named Death, and his companion was the grave. These two were given authority over one-fourth of the earth to kill with the sword and famine and disease on wild animals. So, this is our world. Sad and filled with sadness. Dying and filled with death. Suppose it's no worse than it's ever been. We studied these scenes in school. Back then, Mount Vesuvius erupted and wiped out Pompeii. They had earthquakes then, too. In Sunday school, they taught us of Christians being thrown to the lions. The Emperor Nero ordered the Apostle Paul, Peter crucified and Paul beheaded. And they had famine in the first century, too. These four horsemen, they ride out upon the earth in every generation, it seems, where conquest leads to war, which leads to famine, which leads to death. Where is peace on earth and goodwill toward men? Henry Wadsworth Longfellow, a Yank from across the pond, he wrote that poem. He wrote it when the Yanks were fighting their own civil war. He was asking the same. Where is the peace of Christmas? I wanted to close the book, but I remember there was a beautiful hope in here somewhere, so I kept reading. When the lamb broke the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of all who had been martyred for the word of God and for being faithful in their testimony. They shouted to the Lord and said, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you judge the people who belong to this world and avenge our blood for what they have done to us? So, I guess these are Christians being tortured and killed for Jesus, and they're asking God, how long until you make things right? When will you punish the people who did these awful things to us? I ask this too. The drug dealer who sold to my uncle when he's trying to get clean and get his life together. The kids who bullied Brandon into killing himself. The people who start the wars who don't have to fight in them. How long, God, before you make things right? And I know what I want him to say. The worst is over, and I'm coming now, and you'll have peace. And it did come. I, right here to the trench. It was Christmas, 1914. We'd been bored for weeks. No raids, little shelling. Our commanders had told us, look for a Christmas Eve attack, just to keep us interested. But you know what we heard instead? Germans singing, Stille Nacht. It was silent night, and we joined in and sang with them. And when we stopped singing, there was a silence that hung in the air. And then there was a brilliant lad, and he struck up Adeste Fidelis, and we sang out in Latin, a tongue known by many on both sides. 
And so from either side of no man's land, our voices swelled together in praise of Christ. And then came the fateful moment. One of the Germans climbed out of his trench and he walked out into no man's land with his hands raised, crying out for a truce. And some from our trench went out and joined him. In a moment, there we all were, looking at each other right in the face in the cold night air. Our captains met, and they agreed. We would use Christmas to bury the dead in no man's land. Some had lain there frozen for weeks. And the next morning, someone struck up a football game. And the next evening, there was a prayer service. A prayer service attended by English, Scott, French, and German. And this happened all along the front. For miles and miles, enemies met and traded chocolate and postcards and promises to meet after the war for dinner. And when Christmas had ended, we found it quite impossible to go back to shooting one another. In our trench, the truce lasted nearly to Easter. You read these letters from the soldiers, and it's heartbreaking. Throughout the whole ceremony, the Bosch did not fire a single shot. For an instant, the God of goodwill was once more master of this corner of the earth. The silence seemed extraordinary after the usual den. From all sides, birds seemed to arrive, and we hardly ever see a bird generally. Later in the day, I fed about 50 sparrows outside my dugout which shows you how complete the silence and quiet was. They even warned each other of coming attacks. A German officer sent a message to a British officer that his colonel has given orders for renewal of hostilities, and might the men be warned to keep down, please. So why didn't the war end? God did a Christmas miracle. Why didn't peace last? It's because we, humanity, wanted to go on killing. They ordered the soldiers to fight on. When that failed, they threatened to shoot them themselves. If that didn't work, they replaced them with newer recruits who hadn't witnessed the Christmas miracle. Our artillery sent over four shells of small caliber to let them know that the truce at which the whole world would wonder was ended. And in its place, death and bloodshed would once again reign supreme. At this point, the good Lord could either take away our humanity and end the world, or else let us keep on fighting. I believe that's why when the saints in Revelation beneath the altar asked the Lord, how long until you make all things right, our scripture says, Then a white robe was given to each of them, and they were told to rest a little longer until the full number of their brothers and sisters, their fellow servants of Jesus who were to be martyred, had joined them. So it's going to get worse before it gets better. That's one hell of an answer, but it's the truth.
It's Christmas 1915, and there's no truce this year. To make certain of it, our captains have ordered continuous shelling day and night. 10,000 are going to die this day, on the day of our Lord's birth. Hundreds of millions, I fear, before this war has ended. But our God has shown he's not powerless. He stopped the fighting, and we humanity said back to him, we didn't really want him to. We're not yet ready to let go of our hate. We're not yet ready for his peace. Not yet ready to bend our knee to him. We're vicious sinners. If the Lord ends the world now, millions will be lost. And so, the good Lord's plan to save us from our own sin continues. It's about waiting. It's about having enough peace to hold it together until God comes. And when I want him to come a little sooner, I read this from Second Peter. The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he's being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. God knows it's horrible, but he's in it with us. And he's coming. He just wants to save as many people as possible first. And in the meantime, he's in control. Nani says to have peace and remember the meaning of Christmas. I asked her, when you get older, does the bullying stop? Does the suicide stop? Does the cancer stop? She assured me that it doesn't. And that sometimes it gets worse before it can get better. But she also told me that life is worth living. And tomorrow is worth waiting for. And God is in it with us. I don't see how. But since she's so old, I guess she knows what she's talking about. Peace isn't a trick we play on our mind every 25th of December. Peace is a spiritual discipline we remind ourselves to keep this time of year. In my church back home, we would light a purple candle for peace. And that light would remind us of the light of Christ present with us in the darkness. And that light reminds us of his promise that he's coming again. And so we must keep that job we hate a little longer. And we must love our wayward son or daughter another day. And we must pray for our loved one who is wandering the street in drunkenness and addiction another night. Even when we're sick and no miracle heals us. Even when we don't know what we're going to do after graduation. Even when the horror of disease and war make it impossible to believe. Peace reminds us. And peace is how we say to this world that we know the end of this story already. And finally, 15 chapters later, I found the passage I was looking for. I can't wait for you to find it too. Merry Christmas. Peace on earth and goodwill toward me. Watch and pray. The Lord shall come. Those who are longing await his appearing. Those who listen await his cry. Watch. Wait, listen.